Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In a bright poster-decorated travel agent's office off a busy street in Istanbul, the people smuggler flashes his winning smile. England, yes, of course, no problem. Twenty minutes to cross the channel in a small boat, he says, and in England, health and wealth await. When you get there, you can immediately get work, you can immediately get asylum, you can bring the whole rest of your family. They sell it as the land of milk and honey. Scared of drowning? Don't be. Hundreds of thousands of people have completed the journey, he reassures, and only a handful have not made it. The rest are living happily in the UK for a very reasonable price of £10,000. Your life will be transformed. There was a tragic inevitability to what happened today off the coast of northern France. Two adults and two children died after a boat sank off the coast near Dunkirk. An attempt by migrants to cross the channel from France has resulted in tragedy after two adults and two children died when the boat carrying them sank. Increasing numbers of Kurds from Iran are being sold hope in the shape of an escape package out of Turkey and then to the UK. But who are the men, women and children who risk their lives crossing the world's busiest shipping route in substandard vessels in search of a better life in Britain? And who are the people who sell them the trip? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, Dark Channel, the people smugglers and their clients. I'm based in Istanbul in a place called Jahangir, and I have been for a few years now. It's on a little hill and it overlooks the Bosphorus. It's a very beautiful place. That's Louise Callaghan, Middle East correspondent for the Sunday Times. Louise has been following the migrant crisis closely since she was posted to Istanbul. That was in January 2016. That was right after or kind of during the dying days of the the great migrant crisis. Hundreds of thousands of people crossed, mainly from Syria, through Turkey into Europe. It's crazy to think, but then there were thousands of people who were passing through Istanbul and very openly going to these smugglers. And if you went to the, the bus station and, you know, you just see dozens of young guys with backpacks looking kind of tired, standing around, waiting for their lift to the coast. And I remember talking to smugglers and talking to migrants and refugees and just being shocked at how open it all was. But as the flow of people into Europe seemed to ease and the sights of thousands at the borders of Europe receded in memory, 
Louise decided to revisit the smuggler scene in Istanbul. I thought I'd go back down to Aksaray earlier this year and check if, if it was still the case, if you could still very easily and openly get smuggled to Europe. And it turned out it absolutely was. Do we have any idea why so many more people who are going through these smugglers in Istanbul are turning up in the English Channel in 2020 than, say, the year before? There is a network run by Iranian Kurdish people that stretches from the Kurdish region of Iran all the way to the UK. It's a very well-organised network, and it's one that means people are able to link up with smugglers along different stages of the journey in order to make it to the UK. Now, if we're to talk in rough generalisations about the people who are seeking to move, why are they moving? The situation for just about everyone who lives in Iran is pretty miserable. You know, there's been years of sanctions from the US and and other countries, horrifying corruption, police surveillance, police brutality, the repression and lack of economic opportunities in the Kurdish areas mean that it's even more difficult there to find a job and to get an education. There's very little industry, there's very little work, and the political suppression is almost total. So when we talk about trying to distinguish economic motives for moving and political persecution motives for moving, what you're saying is that very often the two are very hard to distinguish from each other. It's very hard to make distinctions. If you look at Syria, for example, Aleppo, there are not bombs raining down every day. But I would argue that a lot of the people who live in Aleppo are still having an extraordinarily difficult time. And, and of course, in many ways, a lot of them would qualify for asylum in Western countries. And if you're looking at the people in the Kurdish regions of Iran, they have a huge economic imperative to leave. You can work as hard as you can every day in your life. And all the money you save every day, it has less value. For a lot of people, it just seems completely hopeless. The number of migrants reaching the UK by boat in 2020, 8,400, was four times greater than in 2019. We want to go to UK because this place is not safe and uh, I can't speak English. And uh, my sister living there, I prefer go to UK. If I'm alive, no dead, I try. With boat, with lorry, with uh, swim. How could you possibly advance? How could you create anything for your family? All you're seeing is that you're getting poorer and poorer and poorer the whole time. It all combines into this horrifying situation that, of course, if people are given the opportunity to leave or told that they can leave, then I understand why people take that. What have you discovered about the route into the UK from Turkey? How does somebody get from Istanbul over to the United Kingdom? I'm sure everyone remembers the scenes of particularly Syrians getting in small rubber boats from Turkey and going over to Greece. And you know, a lot of people died on that route. They often walked across or took trains across Europe to end up in, in Germany or, or France. So now it's changed. You go from the Iranian Kurdish regions across the mountains, you cross Turkey, you get to Istanbul. From Istanbul, you get a bus or a car, and then you go to the coast. From there, you get in a boat. This is usually quite a big fishing boat, and they might pack it with 50 people or something like that. You then go in that boat from Turkey to Italy. That's pretty far. It takes about three, four days. When you get to the coast of Italy, you're dropped off the bigger boat into smaller ones and then taken onto the Italian coast. 
to quiet areas where smugglers think that they won't be caught by the police. And from Italy, those who are traveling to the UK get a train or a car up through France, get to Calais or Dunkirk, and then take a small boat over the channel. Wow. Now, one obvious question is, if you've managed to make it all the way to Europe, why take the additional risk of another boat journey once you've got to the mainland of Europe? In other words, why the UK? For your average person in the southwest of Iran, a lot of people just would not know a huge amount about the different Western European countries. Some, of course, do and do lots of research, but others are not entirely aware. I I spoke to some Iranian would-be migrants, and I was asking them exactly this, you know, why not stay in France or why not go to Italy? It was very clear that they really didn't know much about the situation. They were saying, oh, in, in England, it's you can get asylum really, really quickly. In England, the conditions are much better. English people are nice. It's not really based on much fact. And that's where the question of these networks come in. They earn more money by sending people across the channel than just sending them to Italy. When you get there, you can immediately get work, you can immediately get asylum, you can bring the whole rest of your family. You know, just these complete lies, basically because they're just making more cash. That's really interesting. So in a strange way, it's actually the network themselves that can often dictate the destination rather than the destination dictating the network, which is what I'd always imagined. Let's talk a bit about what you discovered when you started trying to find the smugglers network and when you started to locate them. Tell us where you went, who you met and what they said. I went with an Iranian colleague down to Aksaray. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but we literally just walked into a couple of travel agents. So it's a travel agent and it's got loads of adverts in the window for like flights, different places, VIP, picture of a Rolls Royce. And it's on a really busy street and acts right just off the main street. So we went in and we spoke to this guy uh, and he was Iranian. And he said, I'd like to go to England. I was posing as her friend who was helping her organise the journey. Within minutes, we had cups of coffee and these guys were sitting down just selling us various routes to the UK. It was interesting because they were obviously trying to sell her the most expensive route. They were flattering her, saying, oh, well, you know, you look so Western and your English is so good that you could pass as Spanish. The voice you're about to hear belongs to our undercover reporter. We've disguised her voice for her safety and changed her name. He tells me that I am uh, not looking like very normal. My English is not bad, so I have a good chance, like, up to 80% to get into uh, the UK and any... European country that they land in between. It was just amazing the lies they were telling. England is free, you know. The minute that you are there, they will send you to apartments. Okay. And they, they, they give you a home and they give you food and they give you a SIM card and all personal stuff you need and they will show you the neighborhood. They were saying it's so easy to get from France to the UK. It's just like a little hop across the channel. We can get you there in 20 minutes. So I asked, well, didn't people die? Could the same thing happen to her? And one of the smugglers asked Razia, he said, can you swim? And she said, yeah, a bit. And he said, oh, well, you'll be fine then. Don't worry about it. Even if the boat capsizes, you just need to kind of float for a bit and and hang on. And then the, the British will be there really, really quickly and they'll help you out. Don't worry about it. Were they smooth, these people? Or were they pushy or... 
just uh, kind of unbelievably friendly. You know, it was very like convivial. They were saying, oh, well, you seem like nice girls, so we'll give you a discount. They were so relaxed. Their sales pattern was really down. You know, they'd done this so many times before. They were selling us different packages, you know, 13 grand for our VIP package where we'll get you to the UK in a couple of flights. And then and then the, the different boats across the channel had different prices. There was a slow one, which cost 3,000 euros. And then there was a fast one. They, they called it a, a VIP jet boat service that could get you across faster. Over the years, I've worked a lot in the different camps in Calais and in, in Dunkirk. And I've spoken to lots of people who've been smuggled. And this is just not true. It's complete crap. What often happens is that migrants get upsold some kind of package. They get told they're going to have this big boat and everything's going to be great. And then actually, when, when the time comes, it's dawn. There's dozens of people and they're all just getting herded into this tiny boat. And if you if you say that you don't want to get on, then the smugglers get really angry and start shouting at you or beat you. They sell you this dream and make it sound really easy. And then the reality is obviously uh, completely different. But you certainly don't know that when you're in X-ray. In addition to the actual modes of transport, are they also promising identification packages you can buy a passport you can buy a european id he said that he could make me a fake residence uh, card like using your old visa yeah using my old visa and password and uh, then uh, i can travel around europe with that if you just go on instagram and write in persian passport uk then you'll see so many adverts for fake passports fake visas Guaranteed entry to the UK, pay us after you land. The Instagram ones, they're quite colourful. There's usually like a picture of Big Ben, some happy people standing next to them, picture of Tower Bridge. And they're basically just selling this, <laughs> selling this package as if it's just really easy. And they told Razia. Do you have a university education? I said, yeah, I have a bachelor's degree and teaching English. And said, that's great because with that, immediately UN is going to uh, employ you as a translator and I can help you with that. I know it's going to work for you. Just as if she was going to just instantly walk into something and she said, I want to bring my elderly mother. And they said, oh yeah, no problem. You can bring her along. As soon as you arrive in the UK, you know, take care of yourself and then you can bring her immediately after. It sounds like a version of a really nice package holiday, except with a job at the end. Are they selling packages to other countries? In other words, is there one with an Eiffel Tower on it and one with the Brandenburg Gate on it? Different groups are targeted in different ways. A lot of Syrians still want to go to Germany because there's a big Syrian community there and there's a lot of information about how to get asylum and how to find other members of your community. There's this idea that you can kind of land on your feet if you go to Germany. Lots of people will have these ideas based on rumours or just stuff they've read online or something their cousin's friend told them. People who you might meet in, in Syria will tell you, I really want to go to Belgium because my cousin's friend went there and he said it was great. Did you get the impression, because obviously the people you're talking about don't come from Istanbul, so they have to get to Istanbul first. Did you get the impression that it was word of mouth that had brought them to these particular smugglers in Istanbul? I think a lot of it is word of mouth. But I remember back in 2016, you'd often talk to Syrians who just turned up in Aksaray. They'd been living in southern uh, Turkey after being displaced. And they see another Syrian on the street and they'd ask them, where can I go? And this kind of word of mouth thing is how it works out. At one level, what we've been talking about has a kind of droll element to it, the making of a package holiday out of seeking refuge. Let's now talk about 
the dark side of this and the Iran Nijad family. Remind us about that story and their importance in this. In October last year, the Iran Najad family, that's a couple and their children, the youngest of whom, Artin, was 15 months old, attempted to make the crossing from France to the UK on a small boat. The weather got really bad, the boat capsized and the family was trapped underneath. There is now an eerie silence in the port of Dunkirk, but earlier this morning, two miles out to sea, conditions were said to be treacherous. But yet, a group of up to 20 migrants embarked on a journey towards the United Kingdom. All of them drowned. On New Year's Day, the body of the youngest, Artin, was found washed up on the southwestern coast of Norway. And he was identified uh, by his clothes and then by a DNA test that linked him to his relatives. It was an unbelievable tragedy. After the break, we'll hear more about why people are willing to risk their lives crossing the channel. But first, a message from my colleague. Hello, I'm Emma Tucker, editor of The Sunday Times. It's thanks to listeners like you that we're able to provide journalism that matters. Get to the heart of the story every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeeda Farsi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Before the break, Middle East correspondent for the Sunday Times, Louise Callaghan, briefly touched on the tragedy surrounding the Iran Najad family as they attempted to cross the English Channel. I asked Louise where the Iran Najad family had come from. The Iran Najad family were from Sardasht in western Iran, which is this incredibly poor province where it's very difficult to make a living and political persecution is rife. I spoke to one of their relatives, uh, a cousin, who told me that he knew about 30 people personally who'd left the area to go to the UK. It's incredibly expensive. It costs more than £10,000 to do the trip. And that's not money that most people in Sardash have. A lot of people get into extraordinary debt. They sell their lands, they'll borrow money from friends and family in order to try and cross. And that's what the Iran Najad family had done. Their tragedy in the channel was horrifying, but it was also just one of these stories. Was everybody in the boat drowned or were they just unfortunate? The others who were in the boat survived. When it capsized, the family were trapped inside. The father had made it out. He was floating next to the boat and he asked the other migrants to 
help him to try and flip the boat over. They tried, but they couldn't, and then he dived back under, but he never came back up. Rough waters, high winds. Rescue teams had responded after a small migrant boat was spotted in trouble. Two adults, five-year-old and an eight-year-old, all from Iran, could not be saved. Had the Iran Najad family got to the UK and the people who were on that boat, what then happens with them being processed and the granting or not granting of refuge? It can take a very long time. It can be denied, of course, and then proceedings start for you to try and appeal that or you might even be deported. That, that of course, happens to some asylum seekers. It's absolutely not plain sailing. You get a very small allowance, usually not allowed to work while the claim is processing. You usually stay in very modest accommodation, just waiting. It seems likely the Iran-Ajad family might have been given asylum. You said earlier that the gold package was to go by plane. And yet all our attention tends to be in people coming by boats. I have a feeling, but I don't know, that actually many more people probably do come by plane. When you're approaching passport control, you can see all the signs. If you're seeking asylum, do so now. They're usually in a few different languages up on the walls. The focus does tend to fall on the people who cross in small boats just because it's very dramatic and it's something that, you know, and it's just kind of in your face. You see the pictures on the news of people sitting in boats going towards the White Cliffs of Dover. It's a very emotional image, so, so people focus on that. OK, let's talk now about measures that people and governments want to take about this. And let's talk first about the historic agreement that the EU had with Turkey following the 2015 crisis. Remind us about what that agreement was and what it said. Turkey would take back migrants that attempt to cross to Greece and that an equivalent number would then be resettled in Europe. And Turkey would also receive a huge amount of money from the EU to try and help it with its incredibly difficult job of looking after millions of refugees and migrants that are in Turkey. That agreement is no longer functioning. It stopped working last year. It wasn't working particularly well before then either, you could argue. There are over three and a half million refugees from all over the Middle East in Turkey, prevented in large numbers at least from crossing into Europe because Turkey had been sticking to a 2016 deal with the EU until now. Turkey is under enormous and constant pressure to care for the millions of refugees that live inside its borders. At the same time, it's very, very clear there are no legal ways to seek asylum in the UK from abroad. If you're a Syrian refugee living in Turkey, you can't go to a, an office and ask to seek asylum in the UK. You can't go and, and lay out your life story and, and they decide whether you're worthy of that. You have to physically get to the UK in order to claim asylum there. This provides a kind of incentive for, for smugglers to send people to the UK. Turkey has a very large number of refugees, anyway, far, far more than in any other country. Uh, we had an agreement with them for them to try and keep as many as possible in Turkey. That agreement's now broken down, and that creates a really big incentive for people to get to the UK extra-legally. We've had this situation whereby there have been more people attempting to cross the channel. And it looks like the British government has become frustrated with this and is casting about for things to do about it. Especially when you have news crews driving up to, to boats in the channel and shouting questions to them. And it's uh, obviously not a good look for a government that claims to be very tough on immigration. The UK should not be regarded as a place where uh, you can automatically come and 
break the law uh, by seeking to arrive illegally. If you come illegally, you are an illegal migrant, and I'm afraid the law will treat you as such. I just think fundamentally people are always going to be trying to come to the UK. For decades there have always been people that are camped out in Calais trying to cross and as the networks change and as rules change, the methods uh, and the number of people who manage to cross the channel in various ways change. I'm sure you remember there were all the videos that were going around where you could see groups of young men trying to jump onto the backs of lorries. It's become more and more difficult to smuggle yourself on board a lorry because the technology, especially on the French side, the infrared cameras, these dogs, things like that. So then people pick, pick a different route. These routes and these trends kind of come and go. A network will be up and running for a while um, and then it will kind of tail off. So, I mean, I remember working on a story a few years ago where there, there had been a sudden uptick in Ukrainians crossing on yachts to the UK. And that was probably just the case that there were some Ukrainian guys in France who realised they can make some cash, did a few boatloads and then the ring got busted and that was the end of it. At the moment, it just seems that there's this Iranian Kurdish network, which has quite a slick operation, which is able to take people across. British politicians, obviously, the, the more public and in your face these crossings are, the more kind of embarrassed they get and the more they feel they should do something. There always are going to be people trying to cross into the UK. And as we've said, quite a lot of them buy methods which aren't anything like as filmic but which people don't seem to be so bothered by let's talk a bit about real solutions to it i mean there was a story about how the home office was talking with denmark about sharing the cost of a processing center for asylum seekers located in africa and i think the assumption made in that was if you landed on the coast of britain you'd then be taken to rwanda for processing what was your response to a story like that be governments are always looking for solutions to stop these scenes of families crossing the channel in rubber boats but if they think the idea of sending people from the UK to Rwanda to process their asylum claims if they think that's going to scare them off I think that's probably quite unlikely given the lack of information available to a lot of people and also the lies that the smugglers tell and how convincing the smugglers are I don't think something like that would really get through to a lot of would-be migrants. They won't say, oh, by the way, there's a lovely holiday in Rwanda on the way. The whole thing just seems quite unlikely. One of the things that you could argue is that by taking a tough-looking stance, the UK sends out the message to people, it's going to be tricky for you if you come here. But I was wondering, given the uh, tragedy of something like the Iran Najad family, doesn't it get back to the people in their area that this is actually a very dangerous and risky business and maybe not worth doing? It can put some people off. Others are very desperate and believe what the smugglers tell them, which is that this was an, a horrible accident, but it barely happens to anyone. The vast majority of trips across the channel are completely safe, very easy, and at the other end, the payoff is just so incredible that it's worth the risk. I actually spoke to a cousin of the Iran Najad family who was very close with the family and used to see them all the time and, and talked about how he used to see Artin, the little baby, being held by his mother at family gatherings. But then I asked him, would you try going to the UK? And he said, yeah, absolutely. I really want to go. Even though he was obviously 
devastated by what had happened to his family. For him, he was willing to risk that in order to get to the UK because his life was just so incredibly miserable back in Iran. This week, the British government introduced legislation to Parliament to try and stop people being smuggled into Britain. They include prosecuting and possibly imprisoning those who make it to Britain illegally. The government says this will help disrupt the business model of people smugglers. Refugee organisations reply that the proposed measures could badly affect genuine refugees while simply making would-be migrants more desperate. After all, if you were them, what would you do? You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Middle East correspondent for The Sunday Times, Louise Callaghan. You can read more of Louise's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer was Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Vulcan Kizzeltug. If you have a story you think we should be covering... An idea for a future episode, we really, really like those. Or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimesatthetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.